Good morning. I want to thank you all for your prayers. Last week was very exciting and encouraging week down at Green Valley Bible Camp, as it always is. Um, atop the, not atop them, but in addition to the spiritual blessings, the weather was also wonderful. So we were very grateful for that. We have spent a number of weeks in our Sunday morning adult Bible class doing preparation work for the book of Revelation to study the text. We have spent weeks there. And this morning we actually got started with verse 1. If you've not been here for that, we'd love to have you be able to be here for that. We're going to recap verse 1 next week at the beginning of class. So next week would be an excellent time for you to begin in that class. As we have studied in our prep work, the book of Revelation is full of symbolic language. There are literally hundreds of Old Testament references in the book of Revelation that were put there to remind the Jewish Christians in the first century that God, the always mighty and always victorious, eternally victorious God, had been down this road with them before. God's people had been subjugated before. God's people had been persecuted before. And in these reminders from the Old Testament, God shows that he's always come to their rescue and he has annihilated all the world's superpowers that ever abused and persecuted his people and driven them right into the dust of the earth, whether it was Babylon or whoever it was. And God is reminding his people that the mighty Roman Empire is going to go down as well. They are going to be annihilated, as it were, for persecuting, persecuting God's people. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. And I want to talk about a specific set of references in Revelation today that would remind them of this victory. It has been said, it has been written, that no story probably ever brought more comfort to the Jews than remembering how God had brought them out of Egypt, out from the hand of Pharaoh, with a mighty hand. And the reminders, if you know your Old Testament at all, the reminders of that incredible victory that God gave his people over Pharaoh and the Egyptians resound throughout the Old Testament. They resound throughout the New Testament as well. And for the first century Church of Christ, that was facing a very similar persecution at the hand of the Roman Empire, reminders of Moses and, and the victory over Egypt that God had given his people also resound. The similarities and the things that we see in the book of Revelation that take us back to God's people's victory over Egypt through Moses are incredible. For example, would you begin with me this morning in the book of Exodus chapter 3? For those of you that are taking notes for our Revelation class, be a good thing maybe today to do this as an additional little sidebar to our study. Again, we're going to note the similarities. We're going to note how God, time and again in the book of Revelation, reminds his people of what he did in Egypt so they would understand what he's about to do to Rome. We see in 
Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses and the burning bush, and we would pick that up in verse 5. Then he, that is God, said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. What does that remind you of as you think about the book of Revelation? Do you remember the Apostle John in Revelation 1.17, how scared he was of the vision of Christ? Remember the fear that he had? Very similar. We continue reading verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. God lets Moses know that he's got a message for his people here in Exodus 3. God says, I've seen, I've heard, and I know my people's sorrows. You tell them, I'm coming to deliver them. And we know that he did that in dramatic fashion. We would see something very similar as we read throughout the book of Revelation. We know that the saints were under a great persecution a great tribulation, according to Revelation 1.9. In fact, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, we will see some of that terrible tribulation or persecution that they are going through. Revelation chapter 6, it says beginning at verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice. <gasps> Wait a minute. I'm a first century Christian and, and I've been crying out to God. Boy, that sounds familiar. Oh yeah. I remember before when God's people cried out. In Exodus chapter 3, and, and God came and delivered them. You see, that's, that's the tie. It is very similar. It says here again in verse 9, uh, verse 10, They cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, till both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. As we continue to look in the book of Revelation, we see these people that are crying out for God to rescue them. We see their prayers come up before God in chapter 5 and verse 8, as well as chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And as we continue to read through the book of Revelation, we will see that God is telling his people, I've, I've heard, I know, I understand, and Rome is going down. Your persecutors are cooked. 
In Revelation chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, we see another similarity. We read verses 1 and 2 of Revelation and it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Did you notice there that Jesus Christ sent this message via an angel to John, do you see that? Boy, that is really reminiscent of Moses in Exodus 3.2 where it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses and gave him a message. And the way Revelation starts out, it's very reminiscent of that because Jesus sends an angel to John to give him a message for his people. The similarities are incredible. What was the message? God said, I've heard, I've seen, and I know your sorrows, and I'm coming to deliver you. As we look at Revelation 1.3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Don't miss Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 and its tie back to Moses in the Exodus. In Revelation 1.3, these saints had to do something besides just hear the message. Does it take more than hearing the message to go to heaven? Anybody can hear it. But Revelation is written to these people who are dying for their faith and because of their faithfulness. Not only would they have to hear these words, but they'd have to keep these words. They'd have to trust God enough, even in the midst of a life and death persecution, to keep and obey what God said in this message if they would truly be blessed. You may say, well, what's that got to do with Moses? Well, the same thing is true with Moses. These largely Jewish, this largely Jewish contingent of New Testament Christians would be well aware that Moses had told the Israelites that they must quote, or that they must, diligently heed the voice of the Lord their God and do what was right in His sight, giving ear to His commandments and keeping all His statutes if they wanted to be blessed. That is found in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26, as well as chapter 23 and verse 22. But there's something else here if we look at Verse 3, John wanted his first century brethren were being persecuted for the word of God the same way that he was while he was on this prison island of Patmos. John wanted his first century brethren to know that the promises of revelation were only, only for those who remained faithful under fire. In Revelation 2.10, we see that message reflected where it says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
We see this message that John wants these people to understand they must hear and do God's will. They must be faithful because this, these promises are only for those who remain faithful under fire. We see it reflected again in Revelation 17 and verse 14 where it says... These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Watch this. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. The promises of revelation are only for those who would stay faithful under fire. As we move on and we look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, which we'll read here in a moment, we see that Revelation was written specifically to or addressed specifically to the seven churches or seven of the churches. There were a couple of others. Written to the seven churches of the first century Roman province of Asia. This is an area that is now on the western shore of modern day Turkey. Why them? Why them? Why not some other group of churches? Why them? Well, David Roper has written what sounds very, very logical to me. And as we have studied in our class and seen some of the history of that region in particular, David Roper says this, That was where Roman persecution was the fiercest. That was where Christians were hurting the most. God knew where the need was. God knew where his children were in pain. And he directed his comfort to where it was needed. Isn't God awesome? Brother Roper continues. And he shows a similarity. To Moses and the Egyptians, he writes this. When he came to Moses, he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I am aware of their sufferings. Exodus 3 and verse 7. We can look right here in Revelation 2.13 and we can see that the reason that God wrote to these particular churches is because these were the ones that were under the heaviest fire. These were the ones where the fighting was the fiercest. The foe was right there. Look what he says in Revelation 2 verse 13. He says to the church in Pergamos, I know your works, and I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Who is the adversary? Satan. Who is a stronger adversary? There isn't one. Who is a more powerful adversary? There isn't one. Your, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, Peter said. And where his throne is, is where his, his center of power is. And we'll cover this more in class later, what that's talking about. But he says in verse 13 here of chapter 2 of Revelation, I know your works, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. He said, I know where the fire is coming in the hardest. And you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. They were being killed there wholesale. Who was killed among you where Satan dwells? See twice in that verse God says that's where Satan lives. That's where his throne is. I understand God knew where they needed the most comfort and the most reminders for their victory. 
Brethren, I want to share something with you right now. I want to get away from this for just a minute because this message, God has not changed. God is not changing. God knew the suffering of His people in Egypt. He knew their sorrow. He understood what they were going through. And He delivered them. If they read through Revelation in the first century Church of Christ, God knew where they were taking fire the heaviest. He knew their heartaches. He knew their struggles. He knew their trouble. He knew their tribulation. He understood where they were. He knew their sorrows. He heard their cries. I want you to understand God has not changed. And for those of you that are going through struggles in your life, you have a God who hears, who cares, who knows, and who loves you. Don't you ever forget that. That is the message of the book of Revelation. God says, I know. I know. We sing that song, Jesus knows and cares. Revelation, God says, I know what you're going through. And I am there for you and the ultimate victory is yours. Hang in there. That's the message. As we read on in Revelation chapter 1, our next couple of verses, or chapter 1 verses 4 and about the middle of verse 5, we see this. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. This passage is talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's look at it backwards. Let's start at the, the last one and work our way back. It is very obvious that there's three mentioned here. This is the Godhead. This is who the letter is from. Jesus Christ, obviously, is Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Okay? Now, we look at that seven spirits who are before his throne. We say, wait a minute, Doug, that says seven spirits. Remember, Revelation was written in sign language. He signified it, verse 1. We know from Ephesians 4 and 4, how many spirits are there? One Lord, one faith, one spirit, right? We know there's only one Holy Spirit. So why does it say the seven spirits? Well, that's because Revelation is written in code as we've been going over. It's written in signs and symbols. And from our study, we know that the number seven means perfection, right? So the seven spirits means the perfect one Holy Spirit of God. That's not hard to understand. Well, this Holy Spirit is around the very throne of whom? Of Him who is and who was and who is to come. Well, we've already got Jesus there. We've already got the Spirit there. So who's this got to be? God. Is God on the throne? God's on the throne. That's the message. Now, what I want us to understand as we read this phrase about God in verse 4, who is and who was and who is to come, this is really beautiful. That term... He who is and who was and who is to come is tied directly to God's delivering his Old Testament people from Egypt. It is a term which the moment they saw it, they would tie it back to what God did through Moses. Listen, here's how this works. In Exodus chapter 3, Verses 13 through 15, we find this. 
Exodus 3, 13-15 Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Okay. So what did God tell Moses to tell the people? You tell the people, I am who I am. That means God is always present, right? No matter Moses' day, the Apostle Paul's day, the Apostle John's day, our day, or if the Lord allows another 10 bazillion years, that day. Is God going to be always, always present, always alive? That's what he means. I am who I am. I'm always present tense. I am always here. What did he say in 1.4 of Revelation? He who is and who was and who is to come. You know what that means? God's always there. In fact, the Greek phrase in Revelation 1.4, for him who is, that's always present tense. God still is. God is then, God is now, and God is always. The Greek phrase, him who is, in Revelation 1.4, is the equivalent to the Hebrew phrase, I am, in Exodus 3, verses, verse 14. He is, whatever age you're talking about, God is, present tense. And he said back there, I am. No matter what age you're talking about, I am. In other words, the great I am is. It's talking about the same thing, the same God. And it would remind them of that. Those familiar with the Old Testament could not hear that term about this ever-present God without thinking or being reminded of God's deliverance of Israel. They would also recall, or they would recall, how Moses enabled... I'm sorry, let me start over. Excuse me, it was a long week at camp. It was a good one, but... They would recall how God enabled Moses and Aaron to do great signs that would prove to Pharaoh that they were from God. And how those signs allowed God to bring Egypt to its knees. David Roper said, Oppressed Christians would be assured that the God who was not intimidated by Pharaoh would never be intimidated by Caesar. The God who had delivered his people in the past could deliver his people in their day, for God was still in control. And that message is there for us. Is the God who was in control and on the throne then still there? Is the God who gave them victory in Moses' day and John's day still able to give you victory in your day? Amen, church. As we read on in Revelation chapter 1, start at the beginning of verse 5 and read through 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, yes, even Rome, 
to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Once again, there's an unmistakable reference if you know your Old Testament. There's an unmistakable reference in the language to the text of the Old Testament story of Moses and the Exodus and the annihilating victory that God gave his people over their Egyptian oppressors. Turn to me in your Bibles to Exodus 19. Keep your finger in Revelation. We're going to bounce back and forth. Look in Exodus 19. Verses 3 through 6 read as follows in Exodus 19. God said, I'm sorry, verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Did you catch it? You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Brethren, that is the same message that God has given to his New Testament people who are facing Roman oppression. In, Ro in Revelation 1 verse 5, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests. You hear that? You say, wow. Have you ever watched a movie? And you say, I don't remember seeing this, but boy, I remember that scene right there. I have seen this movie before. You ever done that? You ever read a book you didn't know if you'd read or not before, and you get about halfway in the first chapter and say, boy, that sounds bad. I think, wow. You ever heard me preach a sermon? You say, wow, I've, I've heard him say that before. Get your hand down, Matt. <laughs> When God's New Testament people don't miss this red revelation, it would take them back. They needed a comfort and hope and encouragement that, that this same God would carry them. And he took them back and he said, hey, remember Egypt? Remember Pharaoh? Guess what? Rome's next. Because I said so. Wow, what a powerful message. In Revelation 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. This would remind Christians of the Egyptians' mourning at the loss of their firstborn sons. Remember that? In Exodus 11, verse 6. Remember when that last plague came in and all of the Egyptians lost their firstborns and how they were mourning and lamenting and how this, this mighty, mighty force and power and this, this Pharaoh over Egypt was brought to his knees in mourning because of the persecution he had put forth on God's people? Do you remember how those who had afflicted God's people in Egypt reaped what they had sown several times over? God's reminding the folks right here in verse 7, Hey, guess what, church? 
Rome is going to reap what they've sown several times over when Christ delivers what he said. And finally, in Revelation 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In this passage, Jesus is saying, I'm God. He's reminding them that He is indeed God. God in the flesh who came and dwelt among us. This is a seal of authenticity. This passage in verse 8 is letting these saints that are being put to death wholesale, slaughtered under Domitian, who reigned in Rome from 81 to 96 AD, it's letting them know you can stake your life on the promises of this book because these promises are straight from God Himself. And it doesn't matter what you face. It's as if Jesus were saying, I have heard you, I know what you're going through, and I am personally coming to deliver you and destroy your oppressors. You can count on it because I said so. Very reminiscent of Exodus 3-7 which we've already covered. You know, there are a lot of other similarities or reminders of the victory that God gave His Old Testament people over Egypt during the Exodus that are built into the book of Revelation. They're built in to remind God's New Testament people that as long as they hang on to God, they will be victorious. And that He is about to come and give them that victory over Imperial Rome. Let me just give you a quick list. We would notice, for instance, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 and 19, we would notice a, a trumpet-like sound that signaled the arrival of God on Mount Sinai. When God came down to Mount Sinai and there were thunderings and lightnings and it was a sound, you, you could hear this trumpet-like sound. Hebrews tells us of the same thing in Hebrews 12. We would notice the similarity of the trumpet-like voice that signaled the arrival of God in the, on the scene in Revelation 1.10. You can't help but read Revelation 1.10 and hear this loud voice as of a trumpet announcing the arrival of Christ. Christ announcing Himself as He was and that He's arrived. You cannot read that without, if you're a Jewish first century Christian, you cannot read that without thinking of the trumpet on Mount Sinai and that sound, that piercing sound that announced the arrival of God. We would notice the similarity as we study these two stories between Pharaoh of Egypt and Domitian of Rome. Both of them were worshipped as gods, weren't they? The Egyptian oppressor, Pharaoh, was worshipped as a god. So was Domitian. In fact, that's why the Christians were in so much trouble is they wouldn't worship the emperor as a god. We would also notice... I love this. We would also... Notice the comfort that it would bring to God's persecuted people near the end of the first century to whom Revelation was written. When they remembered how God had sent two men, God had sent two, we know this, right? Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And what happened? Remember the plagues? Moses and Aaron, the plagues, early part of the book of Exodus. How it would encourage these first century Christians when they read of the 
two witnesses who would have the power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire in Revelation chapter 11 verses 3 and 6. Revelation chapter 11 verses 3 and 6, you cannot read that without thinking of Moses and Aaron. They have the power, to these two witnesses, to bring plagues. To bring plagues, they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues they want to. Not just ten. All they want to. This is even more powerful than what God did through his two witnesses, if you will, Moses and Aaron, to Egypt. This takes it up a level. They can do all of it they want to. Can't read Revelation 11, 3 and 6 without thinking of Moses and Aaron and the plagues. Another similarity is that we know that God's Old Testament people, after they come out of Egypt, they were cared for by God in the wilderness. Is that right? God cared for His people in the wilderness. Guess what? His New Testament people, the church, are pictured as being fed and nourished by God in the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 and verse 14. You read that and you say, wow, God's going to comfort us and take care of us in the wilderness and feed us? Just like He did, wow! And remember... God was with those people and he gave them the, and, and all of it. I mean, you just see this thread winding its way through Revelation. And finally, those who remember the story of how God had brought his Old Testament people into a land flowing with milk and honey, just like he promised. Was it a perilous journey through the wilderness for the Israelites? Was it perilous? Was, was it fraught with danger and obstacles and... But God promised them, if they'd follow him, he'd bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that right? Did God deliver on his promise? Yes. God always delivers on it. That's, a, that's not even a trick question. That's just one of those duh questions. Guess what? These people who knew that story would be comforted in their perilous journey to that holy, heavenly city. Is, was their journey to the holy city, was it fraught with peril? Were these people under fire? Yes. But God, throughout the book of Revelation, is leading them on this story and trying to encourage them to say, look, if you hang on to me, get up into the latter chapters of Revelation, we see this beautiful holy city with the waters, the river of the waters of life. We see this beautiful holy city with the tree of life. We see a place depicted there, this holy city, where God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there will no longer be pain or sorrow. God says, I know there's sorrow, I've seen it and I've heard it. But there's this city, there's this place, there's this spiritual City, this, this spiritual land flowing with milk and honey. The tree of life is there and healing is there and, and I'll be with my people and they will be mine. And I'll wipe away every tear from their eye and there'll be no more sorrow and death and crying. It's not going to be there. And he says, I know you're not there yet, but you're on this journey through the wilderness, but I'll carry you if you'll walk with me. That's a message of Revelation. 
Is God able to deliver on that promise? Okay, that's sad. Really? Two people? Are you hearing a lesson this morning? I don't need an amen chorus. But I need for you to understand, is God able to deliver on that promise? Yes! And you need to take that out those doors with you this morning. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know your health struggles or your family struggles or, or whatever other struggles it is you're going through. But I know this. I know that if you hang on to God, God is able to take you to that city. He did it for his Old Testament people. He's done it for his New Testament people. Let me ask you a question. Are you on that journey? You see, the Israelites, in order to escape Egypt, don't miss this. Yes, this is a wrap-up. You want to put your Bible away? Go ahead, I'll wait. But don't miss this. Don't, don't lose track of what's going on here. The Israelites, in order to escape Egypt, had to have the faith, the faith to go through the water just as God commanded. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The Israelites had to have the faith. When those walls of water went up, and there was dry land on the bottom, I don't know how tall those walls of water were. Can you imagine walking through there and seeing like fish's noses in the water? It took some courage. It took some faith. But they had the faith to go through the water. Because that's what God told them to do. Revelation 7 and verse 14 talks similarly about this. It says, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We have to go through the water to make our robes white, right? We need to go through the waters of baptism in order to have our sins washed away, to be clothed with Christ and to make ourselves, our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. As God told Moses at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 15, he said, listen, listen, he said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Exodus 14, 15, again, God said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. They had to go forward through the water. The Apostle Paul was asked by Ananias in Acts 22, verse 16, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The question I want to leave you with right this minute, the first of two, is this. Do you have the faith? Do you trust God? Do you believe His Word? Do you have the faith to arise, Acts 22, verse 16, to come forward, Exodus 14, verse 15, to go through the water, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, by being baptized into Christ to wash away your sins and to make your garments white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said in John 14, 6, No man comes to the Father except through me. You've got to go through Christ. In order to go through Christ, you've got to be in Christ. And the only way into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 26 and 7. You have faith enough? 
to come forward in just a minute and do what God said you got to do in order to be cleansed? Do you have faith enough to get through the water like He commands? Or maybe you're somebody who's done that. But you've not been living a victorious life. Maybe you're somebody that's, that's really hurting and for whatever reason, health concerns, whatever, and you just you need the prayers of the saints to help you to better understand and live this victory. To better understand that which God has promised. To better take it in and live it every single day because you know you have the victory. You just haven't been living like you have the victory. If you have a need, will you please come forward if you have enough faith to through the water or to request the prayers of the church as we stand and as we sing this song.